Amen. Thank you, Alyssa. How about this all-girl worship band this morning, huh? Like the Dixie Chicks, huh? Well, maybe a bad example, because they're just the chicks now, huh? They're too uppity to be Dixie. You girls are not. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I was trying to think of another all-female band, and I couldn't. Anybody got one off the top of your head? How about Heart? Y'all remember Heart? Huh? Do you remember that? that so, hey? That Wilson Sisters. Yeah, and I asked Ann Wilson, Dr. Johns, if she knows who Ann Wilson is, because Ann Wilson can play a mean guitar, can't she? Yeah. Hey, we probably ought to read Scripture. We're getting way off into rock and roll, ain't we? Yeah. Let's read Scripture. That'll get all that stuff out of our mind. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians is the book that just won't end. <laughs> huh? I just won't end it. That's right. I don't know if there's another one in here or not. Well, I know there is, but I've done preached those last few verses several times, so I don't know if I've got another one in me. I know there's another one in here. But nonetheless, um, let's look today at verses 5 through 9 of this last chapter of 1 Corinthians. Um, because there's a concept in here that I just did not feel like we could ignore because it really is a good concept. So let's check it out in verses 5 through 9. The Bible says, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church says this, says, I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Well, uh, this passage of Scripture really gives us a lot of insight into Paul the man and especially into Paul the leader. Uh, Paul is what I would classify as a man on the move. And you know, most leaders are like that. Have you ever noticed that most folk who are leaders get very uncomfortable when things begin to slow down, when there's not a lot happening, when there's no progress? When things begin to stagnate and there gets a little film on top of the, uh, of the water of the pond, leaders get very uncomfortable with that. And sometimes the lack of progress just causes people who are type A leaders, who are people on the move, to do things that maybe they would not do under ordinary circumstances as far as trying to get things moving again. So I want to speak to you today on this subject, a man on the move. And look where I draw this from. I want you to take your, your Bibles and your pen in hand for just a minute. And I want you to go through those verses and underline every time you see a verb that indicates movement. And you'll see how many there are in there. For example, look with me what Paul says. He's constantly talking about coming and going here in this passage. So in verse 5, we come to one right off the bat, the fourth word deep, I will come to you. And then he says, after I go through Macedonia, for I am going 
through Macedonia. And he moves on through this and he begins to also sprinkle another verb in there which is the word stay or remain. And then we have in verse number 6 the word send. So there's a lot of movement going on in these verses. Therefore we want to look at this subject as a person or a man on the move. And let's just see some of the characteristics of that person because by the way, you know, that's who it is. I mean, you don't have to be an upfront leader to be a person on the move. You can be a kingdom mover and shaker just like you are just where you are because I think that's what God intends for all of us to be, right? He intends us to be influencers. He expects us to be movers and shakers. He expects us to be folk who get stuff done. And the opposite of that, of course, would be a couch potato. And you know, you can't get nothing done if you're waiting for a lazy person to do it, right? And I can remember uh, one of my mentors corrected me years ago because naturally in church work, you don't want to overload anybody. You don't want to give anybody more than they can do. So, you know, it's the tendency of, of leaders sometimes at church when there's a new task to be done to look through the congregation and see who's out there that's available who isn't really all that busy right now with church stuff. I mean, that's just the natural tendency. And one of my mentors said, you got to quit that. Because if you want something done, you don't look for somebody who's not doing anything. You look for somebody who knows how to juggle their time, manage their schedule, and who's already doing four or five things and doing those well. Those are the people who will get stuff done for you. People who are just sitting and have, who've learned to be content on a pew and be pew potatoes, they are not going to get anything done for you. So it's the movers and shakers who really make the difference in the kingdom. And boy, I hope grace is filled with just movers and shakers. I mean, that's really what we've done, really the brand of, 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 of church that we are. I mean, we're a church that, you know, we've got to have everybody on deck. We've got to have every feet on the pedals of this multi-seated bicycle if we're going to get the mission accomplished that God set before us. So let's look again at a person on the move. And I want you to put yourself in this. You see, I started to preach, or the first time I sent my title to Dr. John is, is he's printing stuff and getting stuff ready. I had it, a church on the move. But that's really not what this is about because this is not the Corinthian church as much as it is the Apostle Paul. And I want each one of us to understand and not just say a church on the move because a lot of times when we think of a church, we think, oh, that's somebody else, not me. No, this is us. This is every one of us. So what, it, what are some of the characteristics of a person who is on the move and becoming a mover and shaker in the kingdom of God for the glory of Christ? Well, several things here in this passage stick out to me, so let's look at them. Notice the first thing I think this passage affirms for us is that a person on the move knows how to recognize open doors. Knows how to recognize open doors. Check out what Paul says. When all of this comes down, he brings us this neat little concept that is very much universalized today, but is really used sparsely or sparingly in Scripture, and it's this concept of an open door. I mean, that is in all of our vocabulary. Uh, we use it uh, 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 quite frequently uh, in regards to one thing or another. But what does an open door scripturally really mean? 
Well, a person who is on the move knows how to recognize an open door. And let me enlarge our scope a little bit of Scripture that I want to pull into the table today because again, it's used only several times in Scripture and I think each time it's used it gives us another dimension of its reality. So how does a person on the move recognize open doors? Well, I think Revelation chapter 3 gives us one hint. We recognize them through spiritual vision. Through spiritual vision. Now you might say, Pastor Richie, is there really any difference between spiritual vision and and natural vision? Oh yes, there is. You see, only those who have been born again have the ability to see spiritual realities. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse number 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus at night. He said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth that you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Now, do you know why it is why the people whom you associate with, whether it's family or, 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 or colleagues at work or folk in your social circle who are not born again, who are not believers, do you know why it is that they can't see the significance of what you do for the kingdom? They don't understand why you go to church every Sunday morning. They don't understand why you give of your money uh, uh, for spiritual purpose. They don't understand and they don't see it. And the reason they don't is because they are spiritually blind. Can't see it at all. So number one, all lost people are spiritually blind. Now does that mean that all people who are born again have spiritual vision or spiritual sight? No, it does not. Hey, when you're born again, yes, you get that. That's part of the package. But did you know that the devil can put out your spiritual vision? He can. And he can cause you to be blind. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians a little bit. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter number 6. It is possible for a believer to be spiritually blinded. Then does that mean you stay like that for the rest of your life? No, not necessarily. Repentance and returning to the Lord restores spiritual vision. But nonetheless, we won't be able to see open doors unless we are someone who is pretty sharp spiritually with our vision. Amanda, can I just say to you, I've got some friends who I admire greatly because they have such spiritual insight, they can see God in the remotest of circumstances. Now, I'm not talking about those those people who are overly spiritual. I'm talking about people who just have the ability to see what God's doing and adjust their life to join Him by faith. Now, let me show you this in the book of Revelation before we get too far down this road. Notice as Jesus writes this church or, or dictates this letter for the Apostle John to send to the church at Philadelphia. Notice what he says here in... Uh, in uh, Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 3 and verse number number 7. He says this, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. You see, it's about this open door stuff again. I know your deeds, and look at this word. Here's the word right here in verse number 8. You may want to underline it. Behold. I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Is that little word behold right there? Does anybody have another word inserted or in, in, your, in your version or translation for that word behold? 
who said that? All right, Tammy, you're right. That's, that is the literal translation of that verse. It means look. So why would Jesus be telling them to look at something if they didn't have the ability to see it? You see, He had set before them a door and He tells them to look because there it is. So, you know, here's my question that I have to ask myself. How many doors has the Lord Jesus opened in my life, hey, maybe in the past week that I missed because I'm not as spiritually sharp as I should be? My spiritual vision is not as keen as it ought to be. And you know, here's the deal. A lot of folk go through life and they just never see the doors open. And it's not because the doors aren't there, but it's because we just absolutely miss them because we're spiritually blind. Check out number next as we look at these open doors. What is it that folks see through spiritual vision? Well, back in 1 Corinthians, I think the Bible says when we have spiritual vision to recognize open doors, the first thing we see is opportunity. Opportunity. Check out what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 9. He says, for a wide door, here we go, for effective service has opened to me. So what did Paul see? Paul saw an unusual opportunity that doesn't come along every day, that God doesn't set before anybody, and he saw the opportunity which was there in front of him. So again, I have to ask myself, how much opportunity am I seeing? And if I'm not seeing opportunity, it's probably not because God's not opening doors, but it's probably on me for some reason. Because I promise you, God desires your fruitfulness probably more than you do yourself. So it's not that God's not providing opportunity. It just may be that we're not seeing it. But notice what else that we see when we see these open doors. Not only do we see opportunity, but we also see opposition. Now, look what it is that Paul says. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me. This next word bothers me. Now, if Paul would have said, but, instead of and... It seems like it would have made a whole lot more sense. A wide door for effective service has opened to me, and this next word, and there are many adversaries. Hey, here's what Paul is teaching us about open doors. Opportunity and opposition always go together. They always go together. Now, let's stop for just a minute and let that define or give definition to our concept of an open door. Because I can tell you what the American version or definition of an open door is. Here's what it is. When God opens a door, it means there's a wide open opportunity that is a a primrose path that has no obstacles, no opposition, and nobody objecting to it. And we can just walk right down into it and and come to the pot of gold underneath the end of the rainbow. That's what we think. Here's something else we think. We think as soon as opposition rears its ugly head, here's what we say spiritually. Well, God must be closing that door. No, that's not it at all. Listen to me. Opportunity and opposition always go together. They always do. But now, which one of these is going to influence you and cause you to be a 
person of faith to be a person on the move? Is it going to be the opportunity or is it going to be the opposition? Because you'll see them both. Now if you worry more about the opposition and you let the opposition keep you from walking through the door, then friend, you're not an influencer. You're not a person on the move. You're not a mover and shaker for the kingdom. Because I promise you, if there is an open door set before you that is froth with opportunity, just make no mistake about it, there's going to be more than enough opposition to go around. Are you with me? But now just hold that thought. We're going to come back to it a little bit later about dealing with this opposition. But let's look at number next as we talk about recognizing open doors. Number one, we recognize them through spiritual vision. But number two, we recognize their spiritual value. When God opens a door for you, it always is a door that has immense spiritual value. Now, here's what I hear folk today talking about open doors. Normally, open doors in our concept is all about us. God opened a door for me to have a new job, to make more money. God opened a door for me to be able to buy X or Y. That's not a biblical concept of an open door at all. Now, that might be part of the package, but it's not about you. It's about the spiritual value that the open door affords. Are you with me? Watch me, uh, or watch here as we look in Scripture to substantiate this. Here's what open doors cause. They always cause, number one, greater fruitfulness. Greater fruitfulness in your life. That's what an open door does. Greater fruitfulness. And here's what Jesus taught about us. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So you see, God is concerned about our fruitfulness. That's why He puts before us opportunities. That's why He opens doors for us, for the spiritual value. And the spiritual value is that you and I become more fruitful for His honor and glory. So number two, what else is an open door? What type of value does it have? Well, not only do they cause greater fruitfulness in your life personally, but they also cause the furtherance of the gospel. So, we know that Paul wrote this letter to Corinth while he was spending time in Ephesus. So in order to see what Paul is talking about, all we have to do is turn back into the historical account of Paul being at Ephesus, which is in Acts chapter 19. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 19 and let's try to substantiate what's going on here as we talk about this open door that God set before Paul while he was in Ephesus that really turned out for the furtherance of the gospel because that's what open doors do. He said, An effective, a wide door for effective service has been opened unto me. Now, check this out in Acts chapter 19 and verse number 10. Because Paul spent a good bit of time down there when this door opened. Matter of fact, he changed his travel plans in order to stay there. Can I, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Do you know when you got a person who is a person on the move, who's a mover and shaker, you know it's hard to get them to stay anywhere for very long. Did you know that? Have you noticed that about folk? I mean, this type of personality, if it's not happening here, they're going to go somewhere where it is. Are you following me? So when, when Paul saw this door open in Ephesus, 
He put off all plans and he put down roots and he hunkered down in Ephesus for nearly a couple of years. Now, stop with me for a minute. Do you know for someone like that, it takes more faith for them to stay than it does for them to go? And I can remember when this came home to me. After Heather and I came home from the mission field, man, we were just accustomed to seeing things pop. I mean, whether y'all know it or not, if you ever get to a hot culture on a mission field where folk are hungry for the Word, it's addictive and, 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 and anything less just won't do. And Heather and I came back in order or at an invitation to teach at the Baptist College of Florida and it didn't take us very long to realize we just came from a hot culture spiritually back into a culture that is stone, ice, coal spiritually. And we just about couldn't take it. And we were ready to go. We're ready to get back. And God just would not permit me to bolt for some reason. And I realized then that it wasn't that I was being unfaithful. It required more faith for me not to go than it did for me to go. It required more faith for me to stay put and now I'm beginning to see why. Had we bolted, I would have never met a guy named Dr. John Wilson. I would have never stumbled in the back door of Grace Church up there on Waukesha Street one day. None of this would have ever happened had we bolted. Oh, would God have used us? Yes, He would have. But I think God's got an opportunity at Grace. Hey, can I be honest with you? I think Grace Church is an open door for me and I think Grace Church is an open door for everybody who's here. It just is. And that's worth putting down roots for, brothers. That's worth having faith. That's worth saying, God, it would be easier for me to go here or go there. To No, put down roots right here because there's a wide door for effective service been opened. Hey, if that wasn't the truth, I'd be living in a house in Kururupu Maranyao today, huh? Check this out. Notice what it is that Paul said. Look at this, how, how the gospel turned, how this open door turned out to the furtherance of the kingdom. This took place, and here's our time note. Paul's at Ephesus. How long? Two years. This took place for two years. And what was the result? So that all who lived in Asia... Look at here, that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Do you think God wasn't up to something? So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Friend, that's what I call furtherance of the gospel. Wouldn't you say so? Hey man, that, that, that's what I call, that's what I call uh, ex kingdom expansion. And that's what it means when, when the gospel is furthered. It means that the kingdom is expanded. So number one, we see here that an open door, they cause the furtherance of the gospel. And number two, they expand the kingdom. Hey, that just means all of a sudden the gospel pushes out into places where it never has been. The gospel takes new ground. Whether that's in the lives of people, whether it's geographically, no matter what it is, it means the kingdom is growing. But number next, not only do we see that these open doors, they expand the kingdom, but verse 17 of chapter 19, while Paul is still in Ephesus, we see that they exalt the king. Two purposes of open doors right here. 
They expand the kingdom. They exalt the king. Look in verse number 17. This became known to all. There's our, there's our scope reference again. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon all, and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was what? Magnified. Magnified. Now, what does it mean when you magnify something? That's exactly what it is. Make it bigger. Now, how do you make the name bigger? Well, we don't really. I mean, how can you make that name bigger, huh? You really don't. But, but here's, here's what, what it means. It means the Lord Jesus Christ was exalted. He was honored. He was worshipped. He was known in places He was previously unknown. And His name was exalted. So that's what open doors do. Open doors cause the furtherance of the gospel by expanding the kingdom and by exalting the king. Now there's one more thing here that open doors do or, or that, that really encompasses the value. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the value, spiritual value of open doors. And the first spiritual value is they cause greater fruitfulness in our lives personally. Number two, they cause the furtherance of the gospel. But number three, they come because of faithfulness in our present assignment. Now here is the oh boy, oh me part of this message. Let's look again at what Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia back in Revelation chapter number 3. Here's, here's what he... Here's what he says to them. Look with me again in verses 7 and 8. I'll tell you what, let's just cut to the chase and get to verse number 8. Here's what he said. I know your deeds. Look. He's commanding them. It's the imperative form. Look, there it is. I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Now, back up with me to the very first part of that. He said, I know your deeds. Do you know why it was that Jesus put an open door of greater opportunity for kingdom expansion and for personal fruitfulness in their lives? Why did He open that door? And here's why He did it. He opened a door of greater possibility and opportunity for them because they had been faithful in the one that He would already opened for them. So if we expect to have greater opportunity, friend, listen, we can't miss first base and go all the way to third. We got to make sure we're faithful at first base and at second base before he'll ever let us get to third base. In other words, if we are not faithful where we are, then you'll see no more opportunity. You'll see no open door. You'll see no more possibility for kingdom expansion and exaltation of the king. Why? Because he's not going to trust a great opportunity to people who haven't been faithful with the ones that they already had. I mean, that's just the way it works. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. Am I being faithful with the assignment that God has given me today? So that begs another question. Boy, do you see, I wish we had a grace group. We could really get into this thing, could we not? So let me ask you this. What is the assignment that God has given you that you're at right now? What's your assignment? Because I promise you, He's given you one. If you don't know what your assignment is, you can't be faithful at it. 
And if you're not faithful at it, you'll never get another opportunity. You'll never see another open door. You're just going to stay right there where you are, like you are, for the rest of your time. And who wants to do that? That's against the fiber of people who ought to be movers and shakers in the kingdom of people who are on the move. So what is your present assignment? And if you don't know, Scripture has a lot of generalities, you know, that says this is the will of God. So we have to ask ourselves, are we being faithful in the assignment that God has given us to complete today? And if the answer is anything but yes, hey, guess what? No more opportunity is going to come your way. You'll not see another open door. Open doors. We recognize them by their spiritual value and they come because of faithfulness in our present assignment. Alright? A person on the move. A man on the move. Well, a man on the move knows how to recognize open doors. That's what we've just been establishing. Now the second half of this message really comes from verse number 8 because a person on the move knows how to respond to open doors. Now get this. What good does it do for God to give us an opportunity, an open door, and us just stand there and stare at it like a calf looking at a new gate? <laughs> huh? And I think that's what a lot of folk do. Well, look at that. Man, that sure is a pretty door. <laughs> Wish that was my front door on my house. I mean, look at that thing. Uh, open doors aren't just for standing and, and looking at. Open doors are for walking through. So a person on the move knows how to do that. They know, not only know how to recognize one, but they know how to respond to one. And what is it that the Scripture says is a proper way to respond to an open door? Well, back there in Corinthians one more time, let me find my place in 1 Corinthians 16. Yeah, notice, notice what it is that Paul says. Verse number 8, Paul says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, back up into verse number 7. Well, I really like verse number 6. I like this whole passage. Let's just read it again. Look what it says. <laughs> Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. And so that, what is that? There's your purpose clause. Why are you going to stay there, Paul? So that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Look at there, here's another go word in there. Paul says, I'm not going to be there long. I'm coming, but I'm coming for the purpose that you can equip me so that I can go. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm going to come down there to Ephesus and I'm going to stay with y'all for a little while, but y'all are going to send me wherever I go. Man, that's a pretty bold missionary uh, fundraising strategy right there, isn't it? Huh? But look, that was an open door even for the church at Corinth. I mean... My goodness, how many churches have the opportunity to send the Apostle Paul, the premier missionary of all generations of all time, to send him to another unreached part of the world? So that within itself was an, un, was an open door. But I bet there were some folk down in Ephesus that said, when they read that letter, do you believe that? Do you believe that preacher? He said we were going to send him. I knew it. It's just all about money. That's all them preachers are concerned about, money. And he's telling us, now we've got to foot the bill for him to take his next... You know what that is? That is a spiritually blind believer who looked an open door in the face and didn't see it. 
And isn't that just like us so many times? So Paul says, I'm going to come for this purpose. Here was the, it was the open door for Corinth. So that you may send me on my way wherever I go. You know, we really don't know where Paul went from there. Uh, or it, we know he came and went back to Jerusalem, but there's a, there is a good number of scholars who believe that Paul actually did get to Spain from here. And my goodness, wouldn't that be something? The Corinthian church had an opportunity to take the gospel further westward than it had ever been in the history of the planet. An open door. Notice number next what it is that Paul says. He says, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. And look at this. A person on the move always makes reservation for what the Lord wants rather than what they want. Here's what he's saying. Here's my plans. God has the right and the authority to take my plans, ball them up, throw them in a trash can, and I'm on his schedule. Have you ever noticed that happens more time than not? Huh? I mean, the proverb says man makes his plans, and what does God do? God laughs. <laughs> he laughs. Because God really knows what the future holds for us. We have no idea. So Paul always makes reservation, gives God the right to change his plans, to scrap them, and do whatever he wants to with them. But now look, that's what Paul's planning to do. I'm going somewhere with this. Paul wants to get down to Corinth. He says, I don't want to see you in passing. I want to spend some time there because this is going to be an open door for you to send me wherever I'm going. But now look what he says in verse number 8. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost because of this wide door for effective service. So here's where I've been going all along. Here's how you respond to open doors. An open door takes precedence. It takes precedence. It takes precedence over what? takes precedence over everything. Everything. Paul's talking about what his plans were, what he wanted to do, why he wanted to do it, when he was going to do it. And all of a sudden this open door pops up and Paul says, but this is what I'm going to do. This is what I wanted to do, but this is what I'm going to do. You know why? Because an open door has such spiritual value that it takes precedence over anything that's on my calendar, over anything that's on my agenda, over anything that's on my wish list. It just does. And man, it will not be movers and shakers in the kingdom until we give open doors priority and precedence in our life. You know, I often think, I look back over... Heather, uh, over mine and Heather's spiritual journey. And I just sometimes stop and think, God, what if we would have been foolish at that one juncture? Where would we be today? What if we hadn't walked through a door spontaneously? Where would we be today? I mean, what would have happened in 1990 when I was 25 years old, had a head full of hair, <laughs> a field full of green paint, Y'all know what I'm talking about. And God opens this door and says, Son, I want you to be a preacher of the gospel and preach pastorally my word. Son, I was on the precipice of a couple of things. You know that? I was on the precipice. And what if I'd have said, God, I appreciate that, 
But you know, we're up for contract renewals uh, down at the fire department and there's a promotion in line for me. My salary could increase by 25% next year. I tell you what, God, let me play this out and see how it goes and I'll save up some money for this move and in two years we'll get on down the road. Man, I've seen so many people do that and let me tell you what happens. Two years never comes. Two years turns into four. Four turns into eight. Eight turns into 16. 16 turns into 32. And then one day I'm in a hospital room with that person on their deathbed. And I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. You know how it ends. Here they are knowing they're about to step out into eternity and meet Christ. Not worried about their salvation, but they're ashamed of themselves because here's how it normally goes. Pastor, just got to get this off my chest. 35 years ago, God called me to be a preacher, and I didn't do it. 35 years ago, God called me to be a missionary. And look, I'm not the smartest person out there, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, whatever you want to call it. But it didn't take me many of those to see and see the pain of that person who's already in pain, physical pain from facing death. Now they're in spiritual agony from open doors that they didn't walk through. Until I told my bride, baby, if God opens a door for us, we're going to go through it. And folk, all down through our pastoral ministry have looked at us and said, are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. Because I'm not going to end up an old man in a hospital room talking to a pastor, confessing that God put before me an open door and I didn't give it priority. I didn't give it precedence. My gosh, I'm going to avoid that at all costs. Folks say, Pastor Richie, can you really afford to be spontaneously obedient to God? You can't afford not to be. Check out number next, and I'm done. A person on the move knows how to respond to open doors. How do they do it? Well, they... They know that an open door takes precedence over everything else in life. Ball my day planner up, throw it in the garbage. God, this is more important than anything I had planned. All of my ambitions, all my goals, everything, this is more important than that. But then finally, not only do they take precedence, but they require the Lord's power. Check this out in Revelation chapter number 3. Let me get back there again where Jesus talks about an open door. Look what he says. He says in verse number 8, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power. Now wait a minute. That seems to be contradictory, does it not? You normally give greater opportunity to folk who have the capabilities of getting it done. But here's what he's saying. I'm doing this because you don't depend on human strength to get these assignments accomplished that I'm setting before you. You're not dependent on the power of the flesh. You're not dependent upon the wisdom of your mind. You're dependent upon the spirit and wisdom that comes from above. And because you have diminished yourself, because you have decreased, you've allowed me to increase. And because you do that, because you have little power, I'm setting before you this open door. Hey, can I say to you that... Every door that God opens for you is too big for you. It just is. And if you're waiting to have the ability to go through and do what this open door affords for you, you're not going to do it. You know why? Because here's the thing. 
God doesn't set before you a task that you can do. He doesn't. God doesn't give easy, easy assignments. There's no such thing as an easy assignment that you can do that you're capable of. You know why? Because you'll do it without Him. And God's going to make sure that whatever door He sets before you is so big, so intimidating, so loomingly large that you know you can't do it by yourself, that you've got to do it with Him. And if He doesn't do it, we're both going to look like idiots. That's the kind of assignments that God puts, puts before us. They're big. Hey, did you know that's why, let's get back to this point. Did you know that this why opportunity and opposition always go together? They always do. There's never going to be opportunity. Anything that has great opportunity is also going to have great opposition. I mean, that's just a general principle. It's like that in the physical realm, and it's like that in the spiritual realm. And here's why opposition goes with opportunity. Because if there's not opposition, then by golly, you can do it on your own. But when there's great opposition to this opportunity that God has given you, then everybody's going to know when it gets done that there's no way on God's green earth that that little church down in Bonifay did this on their own. There must be a supernatural power involved behind them, working with them, because they just did the impossible. And the only one who's able to do the impossible is God. And that's why opposition always goes with opportunity. And God sets opportunity before people who have demonstrated through, the, through their faithfulness and their present assignment that they're not dependent upon their own ability, that they have little power. They're really weak and pathetic folk who accomplish great and magnificent things because they let the Lord do it through them. So, a person on the move, where are you going? Are you a mover and a shaker in the kingdom? If not, why not? Are you recognizing spiritual opportunity that God's putting around you? Open doors that God is setting before you? If not, why not? Pastor, I'm seeing them, but there's a lot of opposition. Hey, the only way you're going to overcome the opposition is to do it in the power of the Spirit and let God do it through you. Hey, there are folk who come every Sunday who sit and God just rings their bell spiritually. And they say, I know what I need to do, but I'm not going to do it today. Nope. Wrong answer. You just looked at a door and turned around and went the other way. When God opens a door, you do it now. But pastor, I'm afraid. But pastor, there's a lot of people here. But what's going to happen tomorrow? All of those things. Handle them in the power of the Spirit. And watch God knock down every obstacle just as you get to it. Oh, He's not going to do it before you get there. He's going to let you walk right up into the face of that giant before that giant falls down. Because He is not setting an open door in front of you for you to get your hand hung in the door casing when it slams behind you. He's setting that open door before you so you can be fruitful. And fruitfulness always glorifies Him. He has more at stake in it than we do. Hey, let's recognize them. Let's respond to them. Let's be movers and shakers for His glory. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us, God, take this message to heart. God, would you sharpen our spiritual vision so that we can see every opportunity that you place around us. God, teach us how to respond to open doors spontaneously by allowing them to take precedence. 
and walking in the power of the Spirit to see the kingdom expanded and the king exalted. So God, we put our little old church in your hands by faith because God, we're, we are that church at Philadelphia. That We have little power. But we serve a great God who's able to move mountains, who's able to do the impossible. So God, we pray that you'll find us faithful and you'll set before us open doors through which the kingdom will be expanded. We pray it in Jesus' name. Colin Dollars right here on the front row. Dr.